In this episode, you'll learn about Sam's upbringing, uh, what he experienced when he first came to the United States, and all the hard work that he's actually put in to get to where he is today. So I hope you enjoy the episode, and I hope you all are safe and well during this unprecedented time with everything that's happening with uh, COVID-19. I can't wait to talk to you after the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Blaze Your Own Trail podcast. This is your host, Jordan Mendoza, and I've got a very special guest on the show today. His name is Sam Bakhtiar. And Sam, uh, just for the audience, I just want to have you give a quick intro on, you know, kind of who you are and what you do. Well, uh, today I'm the CEO of the Cannes Central Mission Centers. We are an international franchise uh, that we serve, you know, uh, 120 locations. I'm also CEO of 1% Nutrition, a supplement company. I'm a father, I'm a husband, and, uh, you know, I'm just, a, you know, an immigrant that came to this country for an opportunity. That's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that. And so in hearing that, most people that are listening will will assume that you're a pretty busy guy. So again, I wanted to say thanks so much for taking the time with me today. So, you know, one of the things I'd love to do on the show is really rewind, right? Because you've, you've got a lot of success today, but I want to really paint the picture for the audience of kind of, you know, what your upbringing was like in a little bit of the journey that has led you to your success today. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, um, can you tell the audience kind of, you know, where you grew up, what your childhood was like a little bit, and then uh, we'll kind of jump into some other questions. Well, Jordan, I was uh, born in a third world country called Iran. And, you know, Iran has always been in some kind of a conflict in the Middle East, it's always some kind of a war, some kind of a drama. And uh, it wasn't any different when I was born. I was born and, uh, and soon after that, my parents split up when I was three years old. My dad came to Canada. I never saw him again. And, um, and then soon after that, we went to war with Iraq and Saddam Hussein. And every night, man, I mean, we heard sirens, there were bombs and, you know, there were, you know, it's not like the United States. When you go to war, you actually hear the war. You actually see the planes and you see the bombs and things like that. So that was my early childhood. And um, my mom didn't want her only son to die in the war. So we packed up our luggages. One, I'm sorry, one luggage, $500 in one luggage. And we came to the United States in 1985 as the refugees of war. Wow. So, so got to the States in, in 85. So can you tell me a little bit, you know, when you were in those moments, right? When you're, you're literally there, like you said, you, you hear bombs, you, you can hear the planes. I'm sure you saw smoke. You probably experienced deceased people. I mean, you're, you're in the heart of it. So as, as a kid being in there, what were some things that kind of went through your, through your head on some days? Honestly, man, uh, it's weird to say that, but I wasn't even thinking about the war. You know, um, you know, I wasn't, you know, I just knew that, you know, I was born into war. So I thought that was just way of life. So I didn't know, you know, anything other than war. So, you know, as, as soon as I remember, we were at war, we were getting bombed on, there was some kind of a conflict. And, um, and I didn't know anything different, you know. So a lot of people say, well, do you have PTSD from your childhood or things like that? I don't know. I, I don't know if I have that or not. I just, I just know that, you know, uh, it's something that I experienced and I don't remember exactly. I was too focused on school and too focused on playing soccer, you know, to, to, uh, to focus on anything else. 
Wow. And that's, and that's amazing because like you said, a lot of people would think there were some repercussions by being in an environment like that, but it's amazing that you were able to just kind of, you know, adapt, right. And then play sports and kind of keep your, your head out of it. Now, was your mom foundational in that mindset? Do you believe? You know, um, my mom was always too busy working as a single mom. So I was around my grandpa and grandma a lot, you know, um, and I just knew that nobody in our family liked the regime, like the Iranian regime. So we always talked about the regime and how to mess up the country, you know, and all that. But I was too busy, like, like I said, studying and, you know, playing with my friends and, and, uh, and playing soccer to, to realize, man, anything was wrong. Okay. And that's definitely awesome, man. So you get to the States in 85 and you get here one, one luggage, 500 bucks. So what was that uh, initial experience like? And, and I know you, you know, dealt, dealt with some poverty when you first got here. Well, it was shocking because when my mom said, um, we're going to go to the States, you know, I was, um, I, I did some research, you know, and see, you know, where are we going to go? What, what is, how's the United States like? And I was started watching some American shows back then. There were shows like Dallas Dynasty and the A Team, and those was like the Kardashians of today, where everybody has like mansions and Bentleys and swimming pools and all kinds of stuff. So I thought when I come to America, it's going to be like that. And uh, they never showed the ghetto. They never showed the rough neighborhoods. And crazy, the only relative we had was my uncle, my mom's brother. He picked us up in a in Pittsburgh airport and took us to a little town called Sharon, Pennsylvania, which is in the middle of nowhere, PA. And we were the only minority in the entire region. And my uncle had a convenience store literally in the worst neighborhood I've ever experienced. Brick roads outside his convenience store were pimps, prostitutes, drug dealers. You know, well, you know, we saw people get shot you know, on the street, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that was my first, you know, uh, experience of what United States was. I was like, wow, I thought we were going to, you know, Beverly Hills, but we came to where there was brick roads and abandoned buildings and prostitutes, prostitutes and drug dealers outside. Wow. And you're like, Hey, this, this isn't like any movie I've seen, right? <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it was a big shock. So, so how long did you live in the Pittsburgh area? Uh, I live in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, I'm going to graduated from uh, you know, Penn State. So I went to high school there. I went to college, you know, there. And then I, I moved to uh, California in 1996 after I graduated from Penn State. Okay. And so you graduate. So what did you study at Penn State? Well, you know, I, I studied pre-medicine and nutrition because my mom always said, Sam, you have to be a doctor if you want to be successful. And so I started preventing nutrition, but the whole time I fell in love with working out. I fell in love with body transformation. So I took all the classes that taught me and added biochemistry, nutrition, you know, um, everything that I need to know to be able to get my body stronger, faster, leaner. Okay. That's awesome. And so is, is that kind of when you fell in love with uh, you know, exercise and nutrition, working out? Yeah, I fell in love with it actually after I, I got cut from the, you know, eighth grade basketball team. And um, I, I, I told my mom, I want to go back to my old country. I said, I, I said, this country is not good. I don't have any friends. Everybody makes fun of me. You know, I didn't make the team. So I went to, my mom said, no, we don't have that choice. 
go to the boys club and um, get better at basketball, try it next year. So as I went to the boys club, I saw these people in the weight room and I'm like, wait a second, I want to look like that. You know, back then the Arnold movies were hot, you know, the Rocky movies were hot and I wanted to look like them. And I started working out and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it because not only what they did for me on the outside, my physical, I started developing a little baby muscle, developing a little bit of strength, but what it did for my self-esteem, what it did for my confidence and height made me look at life a whole different way. And that's when I knew that I wanted to do that for everyone else. That's awesome. And so you started getting some muscles, you started getting a little bit more confident, and then you finished school, you come out to California. So what was that experience like going from, you know, Penn State coming out, coming out West? Because as you know, it's a whole new world, right? When you come from the East Coast uh, to the West Coast. You're not lying. So, you know, you know, I'm from Sharon, Pennsylvania, where if you make, you know, $2,000 a month, you're doing very well there very well there you can buy homes for thirty forty thousand dollars in some neighborhoods there so um so i was used to that i mean you drove anything anything uh, more than if you drove a honda accord or anything better you were a drug dealer you know so um so after that you know i came to you know los angeles to go to to go to grad school and when i got to la i was like dumbfounded because I've seen all the cars that I've dreamed about just everywhere on the road, BMWs and Mercedes and Porsches and Bentleys and Ferraris. And I mean, my mouth was like, what is going on? I can't believe this. Like, you know, I've never seen a car like this. And it wasn't like anything crazy. It was just like a Mercedes. You know, you know there's like one Mercedes in the whole town and that's a, an attorney or something, you know? Um, so, right there it expanded my mind of what was possible wow wait a second you know you know this these things are possible because when i was in a small pond those things weren't possible i was like there's no way i can ever get up in the scenes like there's no way i can ever have that i went to the mall for the first time you know, i went to a, a mall called south coast plaza here for the first time and uh it's it like a very high-end mall and Jordan, I couldn't even, I, I didn't even, almost didn't make it to the mall because I was outside just staring at the cars and looking inside the windows like a creeper. So I was like, you know, I was just salivating. I'm like, I cannot believe these, these cars exist here and people are just driving them. Then when I finally went to the mall, I was even more dumbfounded. I was like, wait a second, a t-shirt costs $80? You know, oh my God, a shoes cost $300? Like to me, that was like, who, who buys that? It was, it was beyond my imagination, beyond, you know, what I, what I was used to. And again, it expanded my horizon, expanded like, wait a second, you know, you know, making that kind of money is possible. You know, you know, you know having those things is possible, you know? Um, so the environment always, always extends you or decreases you, you know what I mean? So that's what I always say, if you want to change your life, you change your proximity, you change your environment. You know, it's hard to do the right thing in the right, in the wrong environment. Absolutely. No, and I can relate to that, man. I, I grew up in, in North Portland, Oregon, and uh, very similarly, we were on food stamps. And a lot of it, a lot of it would really was predicated on, like, my mom was born with one lung. And so she was a woman that for her to do anything physical, for her to have a, a job, 
it really wasn't possible because she was on oxygen and and she raised five boys somehow, right? And you know, when you're in those environments, I can relate to that a lot because I, I remember thinking when I was a kid, I was like, you know, I'll probably work at like the department store. You know, like that that's like what success is gonna look like for me. And it wasn't until I got a sales job and I started traveling around the country and I started going to new environments where it was very similar to you, I looked at it and my perception changed, right? It was it was literally like a paradigm shift when I started seeing things in a new light, right? When you get out of those environments that um, it really gives you kind of a scarcity mindset, you know, when you're like, well, I guess this is what's going to be like, right? But when you have the that that shift, and it really is a shift, in, you know, in your mindset, it's it's crazy what can happen. That's great. I know. I agree, one hundred percent. And so, tell me a little bit. So, you you got here. You went to graduate school, and so after graduate school, what was kind of your first step? You know, when when you you graduated, you you finished all your coursework. What did you say to yourself that you were going to start up? So I graduated, I literally gave my diploma to my mom. And I said, all right, mom, go brag to all your Middle Eastern, you know, friends that your son is a doctor because that's what you wanted. But I want to open up my own gym. I want to change people's lives through exercise and nutrition, you know. And I had $20,000 saved up. Um, and uh, with all the years of working as a personal trainer and as a bouncer at Penn State and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I needed another $20,000 to start. And I borrowed that $20,000 from my mom. I have $40,000 to start. You know, getting started cost me $35,000. You know, and I only had $5,000 in the bank the first day I started. And uh, I had $30,000 due in 30 days. So I, you know, I had no choice to start hustling, to start becoming a salesperson, to start becoming the best marketer. Because if that business would have failed, I would have to move back to Pennsylvania with my mom. And to me, that was that was never a choice. That, that was that was never an option. I put myself in a situation where, I, you know, if I lost, I would have lost big. So I had no choice to perform. And I think in life, sometimes you need to put yourself in a position, uh, burn the boats, you know, burn the bridges, so you can't look back and you can't go back. You know, you know, they always say, well, you gotta have a safety plan. You have to have a safety plan. You know, I don't believe in that. You know, especially if you're young, you have a safety plan if you have family and you have, you know, other, you know, responsibilities, things like that. But if you're young and you want to go after something, burn the boats, burn the bridges, go all in, focus, make shit happen. I love that, man. And I love that. I love that attitude and that, and that mindset, right? Because like, you didn't have it. There was no other thing. You weren't going back to Sharon, Pennsylvania. Right? Like that wasn't an environment that you wanted to go back into. And so I love the fact that you just said, you know what? I'm gonna hustle. I'm gonna grind. I'm gonna sell. And so, what year was this? Just just for some context. This was uh, year 2000, right beginning of 2000. Okay. Of 2000. Okay. So this is this is 2000. So this is still early internet, right? This is so when you, when you're talking about selling and hustling, like you're knocking on doors probably, right? You're, you're going to businesses, you're, you're doing, you're doing it the grassroots style. And that's really where I got good at sales was that face-to-face -face communication, hearing a hundred people tell you no every day, like being out there and grinding. So can you tell the audience a little bit about how, how, how that experience for you was? And then also I would love to know if, if you believe it was foundational in your success today. Well, absolutely. It was foundational. You know, because, you know, if you want to be successful, 
you just have to talk to as many people as possible and knock as many doors as possible. And you have to uh, learn to enter personal relationship and skills. You know, some things, some things that just cannot be done online. I'm sorry. You know, um, and so the way I marketed was I would just walk every weekend like 10 miles in the hills and I would put a door hanger in every, every you know, in every home, you know, uh, because I couldn't afford to take, you know, send it through the post mail, you know, and, you know, and I would get four or five or 10 calls. I'll be so happy, you know, but, you know, literally, you know, 10 miles every weekend, you know, I did that, you know, we, we you know, we, we started, you know, putting up, you know, um, body fat analyzing stations, you know, across in the malls or in, in, a, in department stores or grocery stores, you know, you know, sit there all day, you know, you know, eight hours, you know, talking to people and, 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 you know, taking their body fat and see what we can do for them, you know, uh, cold calling, you know, uh, just cold calling, you know, and, you know, offering people free personal training sessions and body fat analysis, just getting in front of them, you know, showing value, showing what we can do for them. It wasn't as easy as it is today when you can put an ad and there's a hundred leads that you have right in front of you. It was literally like you actually have to do physical work. That's it, man. And and I really believe that that's where you're built, right? You're built out in the field. You're built hearing people yelling at you like, quit, like get out of my grass, right? Like, you know, you just woke up my baby, you know, all those things. Because I started doing door-to-door sales at 14. And when I tell you it was probably the best thing that I could have ever done at 14 because it set the foundation on my sales career because hearing no to me is like, okay, that's great. Next opportunity, right? That's what no stands for to me. It is. It doesn't mean like I'm going to go cry on the curb, <laughs> you know, which I wanted to do at 14 when I heard 50 people tell me, no, I did want to cry, but I came back the next day, right? And there's something big about showing up, especially yeah. when all of the all the cards are stacked against you which was your situation so i love the fact man that you hit the pavement you know you you laid the foundations or the tracks if you will that probably really were instrumental in your business starting to grow i had no choice i really had money you know and like i said if, if you always have a choice you always have a plan b and you're never going to give plan a everything you have you know what I mean? You can never yeah. plan A. You know, if you always are, you know, have one foot in and one foot out, and you never give that 100% to what you're supposed to do and what you really want to do. You know, I knew that my passion was transforming people. That's always been my passion. To this day, all the books that you see, they're either, you know, nutritional books, you know, uh, self-help books, you know, or business books. I'm all about transforming. I'm all about becoming better. I'm all about evolving. And I want to show what I've done for myself to other people. To me, nothing is more fulfilling than helping other people become successful. That's awesome. And I definitely love that, man. That's definitely uh, says a lot about your character, right? Especially from coming from humble beginnings and literally starting your business from from the ground floor up. And so I'm really interested to hear when, when you opened your first gym, um, uh, I want you to, to, for the audience, just describe what that feeling was like, you know, getting those, getting that first set of keys, hiring your first person, your employee. What was that experience like for you? It was, uh, it was just crazy because now I'm making big boy decisions for the first time, you know, and, and I'm like scared out of my mind, 
You know, I'm like, oh my God, what if, what if, what if? And for people who are listening to your podcast, you know, if you just go, what if, what if, what if, you'll never go anywhere in life. You know, if something doesn't scare you, then, you know, it's not going to make you grow. If it scares you, it tells you you're getting out of your comfort zone is something you need to do. You know, and um, at the time it was crazy. You know, I wrote my, you know, the first check I wrote was for $35,000. You know, I just borrowed $20,000 from my mom. I had $40,000 in my account. The first check I wrote was $35,000. I'm like, holy cow. I'm like, what am I getting myself into? You know, oh my God. You know, I've, I've never written a check over $800 before that. And that was for my rent, you know, and uh, now, you know, we're running big boy checks. So it's, it's absolutely mind boggling. Okay. And so you, you open up the gym. What was, was that 35 grand? So, so just for the audience, what, what did that all entail? What was, was that covering the cost of the space? Was it some equipment that you're financing? You know, what went into that 35 to get you started? So my first gym was inside of LA Fitness. LA Fitness didn't have their own personal trainers back in the day. So they subcontracted the company to take over their personal training and the company paid rent. So the $35,000, all that included was the first month's rent and security deposit. Wow. So the rent was 35, the rent was 17.5. And uh, so that means that in 30 days, another 17.5 was going to be due plus payroll. You know, you know, I, I I needed trainers and managers and things like that. So I hired people. I'm like, shit. I hope I can pay you in 30 days. Right. And so, what was it like? Was it was this your first time like having having this big of a team? Absolutely, absolutely. I was a one man show before. I when I was in school, it was me as a personal trainer training clients one on one. There was nobody else. And now I'm having five or six trainers that's going to work for me. I have a manager that's going to work for me and have responsibilities. And for five, six years, you know, uh, in business, you know, everybody, you know, had a life. Everybody drove nice cars. All my trainers had nicer cars, nicer clothes. And, um, and uh, they, they, they actually, you know, went out and did things. For the first five, six years, I worked 70, 80 hours a week. You know, I kept driving my old beat up Honda Civic, you know, and, you know, I really didn't buy anything for myself. You know, uh, it was, um, you know, it was, I was just on, I'm like, oh my God, I just need to save because I don't know. I don't know. I need to make sure I pay everybody. Now all of a sudden I became this responsible person because other people's livelihood and life were in my hands. That's awesome. And so can you tell me a little bit about that first team that you had? And I'm sure along that five or six years, there was some attrition. There were people that left and maybe opened their own gym, hopefully. Absolutely. But so what, what was it like? What would you think are some things that lessons that maybe you learned with that first group of people that you manage to your team actually expanding and then having to manage a larger group of people? The biggest lesson I learned is that, you know, when you get a team, the most important thing is for you to be able to relate your culture your vision and your mission as a team. You know, everybody needs to work as a team for one mission and have that single vision to be able to strive for. You know, another thing I learned is to, you know, to learn to hire, uh, hire basically uh, slow and fire fast. You know, uh, which I always did the opposite thing. 
you know, I, I, you know, I see somebody, oh, he's good, oh, she's good, oh my God, that, that, that look awesome. Okay, you're hired. And then they don't perform or they don't show up and I give them a second, third, fourth, 10 chances. And, uh, they, you know, it used to be so frustrating. So I made a lot of mistakes, you know, with the team in the beginning. Um, I've learned a lot. I've never had management, you know, uh, roles. I never had nobody taught me that in school. It was all trial and error. And I, and I messed so many things up, so many things up, Jordan. You know, and I look back, I'm like, oh my God, have I had, you know, a mentor from the beginning? Um, have I had someone um, to guide me? Have I had better circle of influence? Have I, have I had a board of advisors? I would have been a billionaire, not a millionaire. Well, and, and that's probably a great lesson, right, for, for you to learn. And when, and when you look back, um, you know, I'm, I'm a really a big believer that we're of some total of all our failures as long as we learn from them in life. You know, like that's, that's where we get our success is we, we went through this and we're like, well, if I would have did that, like you said, from millionaire to billionaire. And it's, and it's so crazy how small of a tweak or how, how minute of an ad sometimes it is that really can kind of push you over that edge. And so, so now you've got a hundred, is it 110 locations? 110, 120. Okay. So, so, so just a couple, right? (laughs) Got a good amount of locations. So, so how is operation life now? And are you heavily involved in, um, in all the gyms or, or I know you, you franchise them out, I believe. So, um, so how, how involved are you and, and what is similar from that first team to today, as far as culture, vision, mission? Is it exactly the same or kind of for the audience, what kind of tweaks have you made? No, we have evolved, man. Business is always evolving. You know, you always have to tweak your mission statement, your business statement. You have to, you know, constantly tweak your procedures. You know, business is a, uh, is a live animal, you know, where you constantly have to evolve with the times, constantly have to evolve with the technology, constantly have to evolve with your people, and making sure you stay on top of, you know, all aspects of, of your business. So our business before is nothing like our business now and our business now will be nothing like our business in a couple of years, you know, and, uh, and that's why you always evolve. If you don't evolve, you dissolve, you know, you know, the same thing that happens with like blockbuster video, you know, uh, you know, you have to stay constant changing. You have to, you know, uh, dedicate yourself to improvement in all aspects. Absolutely. And, you know, I know you're, you're involved in social. Uh, I know it's, it seems to be something that, that you enjoy. And, um, and what would you see that say the biggest difference is from you were the social media, meaning you're the human walking on the pavement and knocking on doors versus now where you can literally create a piece of content and it can reach hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Yeah, I often laugh right now when people say, well, it's so hard today to get leads. It's so hard for me to get in front of people. I'm like, wait a second. Back in the day, man, you know, we had yellow pages. You know, back in the day, like I said, we had like, we had to put an ad in a magazine and then hope somebody called or, you know, walk for 10 miles and put 2,000, you know, door hangers hoping I get five calls. Now you can go in there and put a video and get 20, 30 DMs in a matter of minutes. You know, as long as you are doing it constantly, as long as you are having a unique selling proposition or a unique product, not just a me too, 
as long as you're authentic, you know, um, I think this is, this is the best economy. This is the best marketplace. This is the best era for you to launch a business. But the problem is that most people are just copying other people. Most people are trying to be somebody they're not on the internet. Most people are just like flexing on Instagram, you know, and they're not being, uh, you know, authentic to themselves. My pastor says something that always, um, always stays with me and says, you know what, you were born an original. Don't die a copy. Wow. You know? That's super powerful. Absolutely, man. And I always remind myself, no matter who, no matter what, I am who I am. You know what I mean? I, you know, you, when people see me, you know, in person, like, wow, you're the same person that on Instagram and you must porn on. My dude, there's got to be only one way. You know, I, I wholeheartedly believe that the only person that I really need to focus on pleasing is myself and what I think about myself is ultimately more important than what anybody thinks of me because I have to take myself to bed every night. I have to feel good about myself every night. And the other person obviously is the man upstairs. I got to make sure that he's happy with me and I'm doing good and, and all that kind of stuff. But other people's opinion, you know, it doesn't really matter. A lot of people just care so much about how many likes they get or how many comments they get and how popular we have a, we have a society right now that people are just always on Instagram posting and flexing and doing podcasts and they're fucking broke. They're broke. And, 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 and I'm going like, wait a second, how can you dedicate so much time to podcasting? How much, so much, so much on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. And you really don't have any money. You can't pay your bills. Let's focus on for you paying your bills first. Let's come up with a hustle, you know, not trying to be popular on Instagram, not trying to be, you know, you know, interview people. I'm all about that, but let's take care of the first thing first. That's absolutely right. Yeah. And I think, I think it's a great extension of your brand, right? It, it's an, it's another way for you to reach and impact people, but I think you're right. And I think you, you have to have a career path, right? Or a business or something else besides just a show. Right. And so I, I really, I really enjoy that you said that. So my field, I do training and development. So I'm involved in creating content. I, I teach a six month leadership program and it's in an industry that's property management. So our, our company, we, we own and manage luxury apartments across the country. And as you know, right now, apartments, it's, it's a big industry, right? Because if you, we have people that say, you know what, instead of a, a home, I'm going to go where maintenance is taken care of. Like I don't have to cut my grass. I don't have to do this. So our industry is really thriving. So in the area that you're in, um, what have you noticed about apartments and, and how they've really changed and from, you know, when you first came to the States to today? Overall, when I first came to the States, apartments were like shitty apartments, you know, you know, it, it was like when you were lived in an apartment, it was like, Oh my God, you're poor. You know, and now we live apartment, man. It's like, no, you know, you got super wealthy, you know, people live in apartment because they just don't want to, like you said, they don't want to deal with the house. They don't want to live, deal with HOAs and they don't want to, you know, cut the grass and they don't, they want to, to live somewhere where everything is taken care of. You know, um, some of these apartments, man, I mean, they're just, wow. You know, um, you know, I wouldn't mind living there. You know, if, if I was single, I didn't have, you know, a bunch of kids. You know, I wouldn't mind living in an apartment where everything's taken care of and I, all I can do is concentrate on work. So, yeah. so yeah, apartment, you know, the, the apartments have changed so much over the years. It's not yeah. a man's home no more. It's a real place for people to go. And, you know, apartments now have 
amazing, you know, offices and amazing, you know, you know, basketball courts and pool and tennis and butlers. Some of them have butlers, you know, it, it's just, I've, I've seen it all. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely has. And, and that's really, we try to, we build a lot of high end stuff and it's amazing. We're getting six, $7,000 a month for, for some of the rents. And, you know, that wasn't happening back in the nineties. You know, it was, if you lived at one, people actually looked at you in a certain way, but now it's like, Oh, you live in an apartment. Cool. You know? So definitely it's, it's been a big culture shift. And I think a lot of it is, has uh, really been attributed to people wanting this, live work play lifestyle right where you can literally you can have people over to play pool you can go to the you can go swimming at your pool and then you can walk to the restaurant next door exactly there's just like restaurants and shops right below and all that one of my friends i was you know um it's like paying twenty twenty five thousand dollars a month wow or you know for basically an apartment you know and uh it's obviously you know in beverly hills and a high rise and you know, they have everything right there. They have a robot that comes in and brings their stuff. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Absolutely. And so um, one of the things that I teach in a leadership class is, is, is an emotional intelligence class. And, you know, one of the things that, that I've noticed, you know, when you're a practitioner, when you're learning and when you're taking in this information, and then when you really understand what it's all about, it's very easy to see people that have low EQ. Uh, and I know you're familiar with the topic. So what are some of the things that, that you, you've noticed in certain people, whether it's they're famous or just a friend or a relative that have higher EQ versus lower? You know, I found that EQ is so much more important in life than IQ. 100%. You, you're being able to adjust to a situation and be able to remain emotionally stable and be able to take in a situation, don't re react or overreact, and just analyze it, and then, you know, react and do things accordingly. There's so much value in that. You know, we live in a world that everybody is always reacting right away. Always, you know, you know, you know losing cool. And the person that who can remain calm under pressure the person who can be able to think clearly under pressure and when the world is closing down on you, when everything's coming at you, be able to be able to uh, function at a high level. That's the uh, that's the person that I want on my team. I always think of EQ as, you know, for some reason for me, whenever I think about EQ, um, James Bond comes to my mind. You know, the 007, you know, I grew up watching that. It was one of my favorite series, you know, and, and I always remember, you know, people are shooting at, shooting at 007. There was bombs, this and that. He always remained cool. And he just, you know, he just acted accordingly. You know, you know, I've saw, I've seen Floyd Mayweather in the ring where, he, you know, he is, the guy's coming and he's boxing in the ring and he, he hears somebody commentating. And he's coming, he's having a conversation with a commentator while he's boxing in a match. That to me is emotional intelligence for you be able to be so cool under pressure that be able to still perform at a high level. That's absolutely right. And, you know, it's, it's almost one of those things that you, it's almost like a scent sometimes, you know, when you meet somebody that has really low EQ, um, because their, their actions, 
it's it's almost like you can see them you know as right. they're happening yeah it's very it's very erratic and a guy that comes to mind was a phenomenal tennis player but peter McEnroe, super super low eq john right john <laughs> sorry john McEnroe. that's right john McEnroe. but like super super low eq i mean the guy couldn't couldn't control himself and it got him in a lot of trouble you know and it, and it painted a picture not not only with with the people that were at like playing against him but for everybody i remember john man gosh man the guys always breaking out breaking his tennis and always arguing with the you know empire and uh, you know it's you know you know it's it's crazy i don't know about you but as hot as i got older um my my eq has increased you know what used to bother me doesn't bother me as much anymore and also whenever you go through so much adversity in life then your eq increases because then if you overcame adversity over adversity over adversity over adversity and you're like hey those things didn't kill me neither neither shall this you know you 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 you're, you're able to stay cool under pressure and be able to perform so have i not gone through so much adversity you know i wouldn't uh, build so much wisdom and my eq would have been a lot lower. Somebody who has not seen anything, has never been through adversity, is going to automatically have a lower EQ than somebody who has. You know what? It's it's crazy you say that, man, because it, it really it really makes a lot of sense now. So before I was 19 years old, I had in fourth grade I got stung by 53 bees, and and lived to tell about it. In seventh grade I got beat up by police. I was falsely arrested. They thought I was a Hispanic runaway. Bruised ribs just beat me. You know. And then at 19, I got in a car accident. We flipped three times going 70 and had to have 52 staples and laser surgery. And, and I lived to tell about it. And, and I really, when you said that just a minute ago, it was like, that really does make perfect sense because the lens that I see life through is way different than if I never would have had the, those experiences, you know? And, and so that really, really makes a lot of sense. And so, what are some things that are on, on your agenda? I know you said your business is always evolving. You're always looking for the next thing. So what are some things, maybe some behind the scene things for the audience? And you don't have to go into super detail if, they're, if it's super secret, but I'm just interested kind of, you know, what you're thinking about in terms of your business growth over the next decade or so. Well, I mean, my answer is going to surprise you. You know, uh, I'm at a point in my life that, you know, I pick my battles. And to me, nothing is more important than time and nothing is more important than spending that time with my family and my children. So, you know, uh, whenever a business opportunity or something comes to, to my mind, I automatically analyze it. Is this worth my time away from the family? Is this worth my time to work on? Because I'd rather take this time and be with the family. And 99% um, of the time, the answer is no. You know, so I've learned to, as I got a little bit older and wiser, to simplify everything and not try to chase 100 different rabbits. You know, I chase one or two rabbits and I go all in those two things. And then the rest of the time, I focus on what really makes me happy, which is spending time with my children and my family. That's awesome. And so how many, how many kids do you have? I have three. So I have a 10 year old girl, a six year old girl, and I have a uh, eight month old uh, baby boy. 
That's awesome, man. Well, congrats on, on the newest edition, eight months in. So I'm a father myself as well. My wife and I, we have two boys and two girls. So, so oh, four. Bless you. And, and June 30th, we're expecting another boy. So we're going to have three boys, Good two start. girls. <laughs> you know, we, we got a starting five, you know, so uh, if you're a basketball, yeah, basketball fan, team, right? Yeah, we got, got our basketball team, man. But, you know, uh, fatherhood, being a parent, it's it's such a blessing. And you learn so much about yourself, right? Like that's been the biggest thing for me. Like I'm 39. My wife is, is 37. And so we're kind of the, the young parents. Well, now we've got this new one coming, so we're not going to be the young parents, right, for, for much longer. But, you know, just watching them grow and seeing the transitions and, you know, their personalities come into life, man, what a rewarding experience it is. It is, you know, and, and to me, that's what I live for. I really do. You know, and so um, I've learned that simplification is the ultimate form of sophistication. You know, you know, you know, sophistication, you know, you want to simplify life. You don't want to, you know, you want, you want to really concentrate on making sure you're playing the right game. If you're running around, running around, running around, chasing all these things and, and you, next thing you know, your son doesn't even know you, your daughter doesn't even know you, how good is that? You know, so, um, you know, I never want to play the wrong game. I don't want to be on my deathbed and say, well, you know, you know, I wish I, you know, I wish I went after this venture. No, no, I wish I'd spend more time with my kids and got to know them more and play with them more. I love that, man. I love that about your character. And, you know, I'm sure your kids are really going to love the fact that they know their dad, you know, dad was a part of these experiences that as you know at these ages i mean they're instrumental the father-daughter dance you know being able to be, i just went to my fifth grader she's 11 it was her last father-daughter dance that we just had and and you know that's that's a little emotional right because it's it's her it's her last one and and um our other daughter's eight and so she's got a couple more to go but yeah it's it's super important to be to really be a part of their lives and to to also make a positive impact where you can. Okay, yeah, I, I 100% man. Five man, I'm I'm you are a stud. So you, you get you have the Escalade, you have the big one. <laughs> yeah, we, we get, we're, we're gonna have to upgrade our SUV here here soon. So yeah, I think it's I, seat seven or eight, but yeah, we're we're gonna need one of those big church buses, church vans, probably at some point. Yeah, you know, for sure, man. I have one of those, so you know they they, they come in definitely come in handy. Absolutely. All right. So as we wrap up here, um, you know, you, you've had this really amazing journey from, you know, starting out in, in the war, coming to the States with a, and seeing a different picture than you saw in the movies. And then, you know, finishing up school, fulfilling your mom's dream of being a doctor and, and now really, really building this amazing business of over 110 to 20 gyms. So um, if, if you could with the audience, what are maybe the, the, the three tips that you can give for anyone that's out there that, that wants to start their own thing, right? But they want to do it right because the way that I've seen you do things is um, – you know, it's been great. It's been cool to learn about your journey because every time you've, you've really had these pivots, right? These like moments where you've shifted and you've made the necessary tweaks that have really gotten you to where you are today. So what three tips? Um, and if you, if you, you know, can think of more, that's fine, but that you can share for someone maybe want to start their journey. First thing first, you know, I would say the biggest factor would be just start. It's never going to be a perfect time. 
you know, a lot of times we'll wait till everything becomes perfect. We're waiting for the sun and the, and the moon to align in the right place in the right time. Kind of like everyone, you know, wants to put a perfect time to start a diet. There's no perfect time to start. You just have to start. You know, some people aim, 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 never shoot. I would say, you know, you know, shoot, then aim and course correct along the way. But if you don't shoot, nothing ever happens. So action trumps everything. You know, and if you make a mistake, no big deal. Learn from it, move on. You know, that's just going to be life. You are going to make some mistakes, and you're going to you're going to decrease the chance of making mistakes. You know, by getting mentors or or, or talking to people who already done what you want to do. So you, you know, it's like a shortcut to your success. The second thing is, is going to be, I don't care what business you're in. I really don't care what business you're in. You know, you got to have a relational business, not a transactional business. You know, in this day and age, no matter what you're doing, there are a hundred people within a few mile radius that are doing the same thing as you. You're not unique. So people don't care about what you know until they know how much you care. So if we treat people relationally all the time and take care of them, you are going to be successful. But if you just treat people like a transaction, like there's a dollar sign to them, you'll never get anywhere. You know, third. If you're going to start a business, make sure you know what's your KPIs. KPI stands for key performance indicators. You know, what numbers are you looking at? What, what you need to be? What is your stay open number? You know, what is the cost of acquiring a customer? What is the lifetime value of your customer? You know, uh, you know, what is your total overhead? You know, these are some things that you need to know because if you don't know your numbers, in your business, you basically are driving around blindly and you don't know what to do. What doesn't get measured can be managed. Love that, man. I love those tips. And, and for the audience, um, you know, write those down, right? I'm, I'm definitely going to make sure I write those down because I think, like you said, those can help anybody. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, selling pianos, if you're, you know, a rapper, anybody, I think those three things are foundational. So I really, really appreciate you sharing those with the audience. And Sam, again, I really, really appreciate your time today. I, I thank you so much for being on the show. And, and just um, in closing, where can the audience find you? Because I know that people are going to listen to this, they're going to say, man, what, what a unique story and journey and you know i might want sam to help my business out so where can people get a hold of sam sure it's really easy you can google my name sam bakhtiar that's b-a-k-h-t-i-a-r or you can text me directly you know um i have a, I have a direct text line is 909-200-4015 awesome well hey again i really appreciate your time on the show today it's been awesome learning more about your story and uh, I'm sure we're going to be hearing more from you here in the future. Wow, what an awesome episode with Sam Bakhtiar. What an amazing guy. What an amazing journey. And he is living proof, folks, that if you put your mind to something, you can absolutely accomplish it. You are going to have roadblocks. You are going to have things in your way, but ultimately, you know, hard work uh, really trumps everything. If you want to accomplish something meaningful, it's going to take that hard work to get there. And I literally love the fact that he said, 
you know, what does the next decade look for him? Well, it's spending more time with his family. So I really, really loved his priorities. I hope you all enjoyed that episode with Sam. And if you liked it, make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you're not already. And also tell your friends about it. Uh, Don't forget as well, uh, if you have an iTunes account, please, please, please rate it, review it. Uh, That will definitely help us be able to reach as many people as possible. Thanks so much for listening. And I can't wait to chat on the next episode of the Blaze Your Own Trail podcast.